0: Uh, this is uh, The Big Pitch coming to you live from uh, Federation Square in Melbourne. Um, I'm Ian Gardner. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, uh, occasional investor, I run Innovation Bay, and I work at Amazon Web Services. So we are, we're also one of the sponsors tonight. So uh, welcome along to, to all of you joining us. Uh, so we've assembled, we have assembled a fantastic panel of the startup luminaries from uh, around Australia, the best we could possibly find. Um, And we have entitled this panel, a deep dive into the Australian startup ecosystem, which is a nice broad topic, so we can pretty much go anywhere we like with it. So um, yeah, so I thought I'd maybe kick off, or maybe get you guys to introduce yourself as, as we open up the questions. But when I think about what startups need to succeed, I mean, I normally come up with about six things, and you can correct me if I'm wrong with this. So community, customers, funding, mentoring, recruitment, and technology
1: I've got one more Bronwyn. serendipity I think
0: <laughs> is that a skill
1: I think it often happens I think we often see things um, that succeed years after you know an idea has first been tried in the community and I think sometimes you know it comes down to timing and when ideas happen and uh, you know I, I like the word serendipity. I think that has a lot to do with things sometimes.
0: So why don't we start with you? So Bronwyn, you, I mean, uh, you are a community expert, I'd say. You were a, a journalist. I think it's uh, – were you actually a trained
1: journalist? Uh, yeah, I'm trained as a right. journalist. So
0: you're a – but you're also – you're now a startup. Uh...
1: Startup person. Yeah, so my, my journey was uh, in the very early days of startups hitting Australia. I think, um, you know, there were literally eight of us who were running companies all knew each other and we – you know, communicated by, by email in terms of what was happening in the startup um, kind of system. This is like going back eight or nine years. Uh, and then I worked for Polonizer, which was you know Australia's um, sort of leading incubator at the time. And then have sort of continued my journey, and at the moment working for um, an Australian startup, Culture Amp, uh, based out of San Francisco. So a fairly kind of broad view on the startup system. Okay.
0: So, I mean, you are perfectly placed then to tell us, I mean, what do you think about community when you think about the Australian startup ecosystem? Are we good?
1: Yeah, I think it's really strong. I think, um, you know, organizations like Startup Isles and Startup Victoria have really taken community to the next level here. Um, And I I think I don't see anything happening here that's not happening in, you know, San Francisco at the moment. We've got... um, you know, really strong ideas. We're starting to see um, more and more companies funded uh, at a much easier uh, and at much greater levels than we've ever seen kind of before. And we've also got that uh, next layer of people who've actually done it and made it to kind of advise back to the community, which I think until now we haven't really had. So I think, you know, the ecosystem is pretty strong right now.
0: Okay. Pete, do you want to give us a a bit of context in your view? So tell us a bit about your background in fact, I'll look to your LinkedIn profile. Like, you, you are spectacularly young. You didn't have anything before about 2005, I think, was was when you sort of emerged in the scene. So, yeah, so like, who are you and what have you done? <laughs> and uh, what's your view on the, 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 the ecosystem as it stands?
2: Cool. So um, my name is Peter Brad. I'm uh, 31, Ian, if you want to know. Um, uh, I go back a little bit before 2005. i got my university on there. Um, so I'm an entrepreneur, uh, like you. Um, I created a business called Scribble Picks. We uh, created software that lets people turn photos into real postcards. Uh, we distributed that through really large travel companies like Qantas, Expedia, the Hilton still is available, and I still own it. Um, I moved that business into uh, Sydney's first tech co-working space, Fishburners, which was uh, came out of another space called Project Hollywood uh, that Pete Davison and Mike Casey had founded. Um, and my business was automated, so I had a bit of spare time, so I helped the guys... Uh, turn that from um, one level, 300 square meters and sort of about 30 people into what it is um, two years ago when I handed it over. We have about 120 startups. So we've got the whole building down in Ultimo, um, which is really exciting. Um, we have uh, you know, like a 1,000 people through there a week in terms of events. And um, uh, it's really exciting to see so many founders, so many new faces in the corridors uh, every, every, every week. we have a I think they join up one person per day. Um, which is pretty exciting. Uh, For the last two years, I've been helping corporates innovate, um, big companies, um, predominantly in banking, media, retail. uh, And as of sort of two days ago, I became the CEO of Startup Oz. Is that...
0: I didn't see that. That's fantastic. So, well,
2: that's good to hear. Um, And tell us a bit about Startup Oz. So, um, Startup Oz uh, came out of uh, an event we held probably about two years ago. We got 50 people from around Australia to come to an event that was uh, hosted by, uh, it was run by PwC, and we just discussed what was going on in the ecosystem and how we could uh, amplify what was going on. Um, They used a Scan Focus Act kind of uh, facilitation, and one of the action items was that government uh, corporates uh, didn't have uh, anybody they could go to to find out what action items they should be doing. Uh, Everyone was saying different things. There was no sort of coherent voice or coherent strategy. So Startup Oz was founded out of that. Uh, It's a not-for-profit um, and we've we've done quite a, a few successful things since then, such as Startup Spring and also the Crossroads report, which we've uh, we've just released uh, an update, which is on our website under slash crossroads And I've
0: got to say that is a spectacularly good publication. So I think it was Colin helped pull it together, but really, really good. So great work in that. Um, and congratulations, I don't think i would uh, said that, so well done, that's a great and it's great for the, uh, the industry that you're, you're in that role, so that's really good. Uh, Scott, did you go for that role and miss out? <laughs> no, I didn't apply for that role, <laughs> I had jobs
3: already. Um, yeah, so, so tell us about
0: your background and uh, what you're doing here.
3: Sure, so I've been, I guess, self-employed for about 10 or 11 years, but maybe a founder for about, since about 2009. So I've got my own startups who are in the event registration space. I um, have one startup called EventArk, which does event registration and ticketing, uh, mainly in Australia. We have another one called Attendly, so that does event registration for the mass participation space, so marathons, triathlons, cycling, that kind of thing. So I've got really good traction in the UK, in South Africa, just got into the US. Um, so we'll be expanding into London. We'll be opening a, a new London office in the second half of this year. Yeah. Um, so that keeps me busy, those those two companies. Um, I also co-founded Startup Victoria. So Startup Victoria is similar to Startup Oz. It's a it's a not-profit organization which is there to represent and help help the community and help the ecosystem. Um, I think what we do is we focus more on founders. So we're very much inspired by the Brad Feld book about startup communities and how founders help build the best ecosystems. So entrepreneurs who are having a crack, that's our core constituency, and that's who we aim to help. So we're looking to get more founders, so more people having a go at entrepreneurship, and better founders which helping people who are having a go, helping them get better at it.
0: And uh, Doran, do you think we need to start up New South Wales to add to Australia, Victoria, and what do you think? No, I think. In fact, can... why don't you tell us about like uh, who you are and, and what brings you here?
4: Okay, so um, so my background is as a serial entrepreneur. I've co-founded six companies. Um, I've been a venture capital investor for a decade. After that, um, and then I um I started Commercialization Australia, which was designed to try to um explain to government really how it can make a difference by not just injecting capital but building the human capital around that to assist these companies in the most practical way possible which is by introducing them to people they need to meet. And we did that over five years. We helped over 550 companies. We invested over 250 million um, and we got a lot of really, really good results probably probably 30 to 40 companies, uh, since we helped them raise over $5 million, we had five outright exits, um, all, you know, some very successful plays, and um, arguably some of the most successful companies have raised close to $100 million since we helped them with maybe 300,000. So there's been a lot of really, really good success. I just make one point about the ecosystem. Um, There are a variety of different ecosystems, and I think the digital space at the moment Um, particularly the basic software uh, app side of things, B2C, B2B web. I think that's um, as vibrant as it's ever been. Uh, I think there's a lot of good reasons for that. Most notably, the cost of starting up is much lower these days. So for far less capital, you you can at least prove out your concept. And once you've got certain traction, certain metrics, you can then raise money relatively easily because people can see the pathway and there's a, a lot of activity, there've been quite a few winners, but I think the deep tech side of the marketplace is as difficult as it's ever been. So it's, it's not a, a one dimensional story. So I think a lot of the communities that have been forming around groups like Polonizer, Blue, Chili, etc., cetera, uh, they're all in that digital space, um, but deep tech still struggles because it's much, still very costly You don't have the ability to prove out in a couple of months. And so a lot of the technologies, a lot of the deeper technologies coming out of our university and research space is still struggling. And so what I'm doing today, and I started two weeks ago, is I've joined the University of Melbourne um, to pioneer a new approach to the way in which the university goes about funding its research. And what we're doing is we're bringing together all sources of funding under the one roof. So whether it's an ARC grant for fundamental research by a, by a laureate professor right through to a spin-out opportunity to start something up out of the uh, uh, computer science faculty, all of that activity is now going to be run by the one organisation which is designed to increase the research income overall for the university. And by doing that in a holistic way rather than just saying government money or just saying industry money but actually saying all of it, we build a much more diverse ecosystem now around the fundamental research so that we can increase the number of people and the activity density around those high-tech opportunities and so give them a greater chance of getting expression in the marketplace.
0: I'm just gonna stay on this theme for a second, so maybe a quick answer if you can. So how much money do you think, you know, you called it deep tech, you know, a deep tech startup, how much would it need to get to profitability?
4: Well, it varies a lot, but you are talking millions. You're, you know, you're talking five to 10 million, typically minimum uh, for a deep tech startup. It depends on what field it's in. Obviously, if it's in the biotech space, um, uh, there's a number of stages the company can go to. Um, and and for, for that order of magnitude investment, you can probably get it to the point where a major multinational might take the opportunity out or move in as a strategic investor. Uh, the uh, sort of engineering type space, um, uh, you you can probably get it for a little bit less, but at least that five to ten million, which means you're still in a space yeah. where it's very difficult.
0: Okay, so I want to come back to the other extreme, and maybe get the the others involved here. So I mean, you made the point before that it's expensive to do deep tech, but it's not expensive to do what you'd might call app tech. I just made that one up, so I don't know whether that's a, a valid name. Um, are startups focused in Australia on chasing? Funding too early rather than trying to build a tech for cheap and get to market and then raise the money. So, Pete, what do you think?
2: Um, I don't see that. Obviously, I, you know, um, created Fishburners. So we created a place where people could bootstrap their businesses from um, and show traction. And raising money in Australia is difficult. So it gives them the, the runway that they need. Um, very cheap rent. Yeah,
0: but even even at fish burners, there's a lot of chatter around funding, and it's you know I don't, I don't think it's a, a, a wholesale rule that it's a means to an end, but a lot of them see it as that you know it is a means to an end, not an end point in itself. But I'm just wondering if they're too
2: focused on that endpoint and its own. I think um, uh, they're trying to get something to a point where an investor's willing to put in 500k um, from an idea, they'll get something to to where they've got customers. Um, they've got a number of customers and they need to get some stuff in to help them scale. They've got uh, what people call product market fit perhaps or uh, maybe they've got problem solution fit but they have yet to work out their marketing channels. Um, they could do partnerships with corporates so your, your previous panel talked about about that uh, as, a, as a way to get more money um, or they could do some crowdfunding. We just had a recent company at Fishburners uh, raise two hundred and fifty grand off a crowdfunding platform which was probably a mix. GoFAR. Yeah, GoFAR yeah. um, which is a hardware hardware company we've got a couple of hardware companies in fish burners. um i don't see people uh being able to because there's so many more startups these days go to an investor and just off the back of an idea raise too much money besides if they go to like a, an accelerator or something and they're giving away 10 percent for um, you know a small amount 20 yeah. and 20, what about you
0: bronwyn are you seeing a trend towards getting funding too soon and forgetting about trying to make money
1: no, I don't think so. I think, you know, every now and then there are people who have an idea and think they can go to San Francisco and get money off the back of that. But I think they very quickly learn that's, uh, that's not the case. But I think that kind of um, myth we're seeing less and less of because, um, you know, people realise, and I think one of the advantages of trying to get something off the ground in Australia is we, we haven't had, we've never had that, what I feel is a disadvantage of people just throwing away money at things. You've had to have some sort of traction. You've had to have some sort of proof before you got investment. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think that's still pretty much the case these days. I don't think, um, you know, we've reached the problem of, you know, someone simply having an idea and someone throwing money at it. Uh, and, but quite frankly, I, I don't, think it's, don't think it's a great way of doing things. I think it's quite silently been one of our advantages. Um, you know, people have really had to prove themselves out
2: yeah I definitely agree with that
4: yeah
0: uh, Scott you any comments on that
3: yeah no look I agree with everyone that I don't see anyone raising funding too early funding too early um, I think a bigger problem is perhaps that I see a lot of startups who are creating businesses which are never going to get funding um, so what I'd like to see is more Australian startups having a crack at bigger ideas um, they t- I mean they're creating businesses which are good and they may get to half a million or a million revenue and they get excited about that and there's no problem with that but if you're looking to grow globally and you're looking for investment, that's not exciting to an investor. Um, so I see a lot of ideas which are good small businesses, but they're not—they're not showing that you're really trying to take over the world, which is what an investor going to want to see. So if yep. you want to go down that path, you have to have a big idea.
2: Yeah, all true. It's a, it's, it's a bit difficult. Like if you look at Airbnb as a as a model, if you look at those disruptive companies like Airbnb, they're kind of on the verge of being a little bit crazy. But you could also maybe perhaps understand that. That maybe they'd take off, but you don't understand they're going to become a billion dollar company.
3: Yeah, it's true. Adam. And I mean, Australian investors are naturally conservative. Um, so perhaps what we're doing is we're creating companies which they're going to like rather than companies that are actually going to go boom. I yeah.
2: think one of the, the most important things is um, to look for problems uh, worth solving. And if uh, Australian industry can, uh, and, and government can come to the entrepreneurs with big problems worth solving uh, and let the entrepreneurs understand what those problems are. Uh, then they can look at solving those big problems that people are willing to to pay for.
0: I, I, I do want to come back to government, so we'll we'll, we'll do that in a sec. So, um, I've got one maybe like one last comment on this. Is there a frothiness or a bubble out there? So I read yesterday that Snoop Dogg uh, just raised 25 million dollars for a fund. This is true, called Casa Verde Capital, that is going to invest in weed growing businesses. So is this the canary in the coal mine? that's peeling over? Are we reaching a peak?
3: Who else to understand weeds and Snupdog though, right? <laughs> well, true? <laughs> so
2: that's an, an American business, I'm assuming, um, yes. where it's it's um, legal and. Um, uh, no,
0: it's, it's more the 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 fact that you're getting entertainers going out and pretending the venture capitalist, which is inherently a complicated. I mean, thing Kim to Kardashian,
1: do. for all our jokes, has run a very successful business. I don't. To me, that's not the sign of the bubble. It's not. It's not the Kim Kardashian's and the Snoop Dogs, You know, we've always thrown money at Hollywood stars. I don't think that's any difference. I mean, they've just, they used to make fragrances and now they have startups. It's just the same old. Um, I think uh, the interesting thing about the bubble is it's like, you know, it's been, what, four or five years in the making and it hasn't happened. And we just keep all keep assuming that it will, you know.
0: Just for the record, I don't think there's a bubble. I think it's healthier than it's ever been. The investors are smarter, and the startups are better.
1: Yeah, and the, I mean the difference is that companies like uh, Airbnb, um, you know, Lyft, Uber, those companies are making money where a lot of companies before, you know, the the tech bubble, weren't. We have we have viable companies coming out of you know this, you know the ecosystem right yes, now. Yeah, no,
0: that's, that's totally true. So I, I want to get back to, to, to government. So, Doran, I'm, I'm going to look at you because you were government. Uh, what can government do to better help the Australian startup ecosystem?
4: It can do a number of things at uh, different levels. So the first thing is the overall settings. So taxation settings, um, things like the R&D tax incentive, which um, provide incentive to try new things and spend money for the private sector to spend money on new things. I think this is very important to have those incentives in the system. Um, It's also important to have executive share option capability. Uh, So a lot of these settings are very, very important. So um, if you think of government operating at at three levels, there's macro settings. So that's where you deal with your taxation, immigration law, which can also be uh, an issue here. You take your next level down, which would be uh, uh, typically regulatory settings. So if, for example, you look at the, um, uh, the uh, drug clinical trials and so on, um, the FDA in the US, right? So we have our equivalent here and uh, how you set up the regulator can have a profound impact on how businesses can form in this country. So regulation has a part to play and it's not always an impediment. So a lot of people look at regulation and see red tape and think a negative. Sometimes you can turn regulation into a positive. So if you make getting your clinical trials done really easy in a country, you'll attract people to do the clinical work here, which adds to the ecosystem and creates more opportunities. So you can use regulation to your advantage, not just as an obstacle. And then finally, down below, you've got the individual point interventions, which is like the program that I set up with Commercialization Australia and the Entrepreneurs' Infrastructure Program. They're designed around a point intervention but when but if you only limit yourself to point interventions you won't achieve your goal what you've got to do is use the point intervention and then capture the results of that and feed them back so for example we have uh, let's take a company like building iq you might have heard of them they commercialized some technology out of csiro which would tune a building management system to get maximum efficiency on the on the heating ventilation and cooling clever software over over time we helped them initially with about a million dollars um, they went on to raise over $20 million. They got a lot of traction in the US. They got some uh, strategic investors on board. But the, the founder of that business, the, the, the guy, so Mike Zimmerman, who took that forward, we fold him back into the expert network. So he's then ready to look at the next startups coming through. We introduce startups that he's interested in through the expert network and get him to fold back and provide that input to the next generation.
0: Yeah. No. Uh, Pete, I'll bring you in here because I, I know that startup Oz has championed a lot of You know, all through the crossroads reports, the recommendations to the government, what they should do. Uh, What's your view? Give us a top few bullet points on
2: what you think government should be doing to help uh, the ecosystem. Yeah, great. Daron gave a a great um, example of, you know, what you can do at different levels. Um, And we have seen a lot of positive change recently, uh, particularly over the last year, particularly with the Employee Share Options Scheme and the crowdfunding. There's been a bit of movement on that as well um and there's been a lot of money raised recently within australia there's been more money raised uh last year than 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 ever uh before what i'd like to see is a little bit more transparency around government having very robust conversations around what they could be doing to to support the ecosystem the, the reason for it is is once you create uh an ecosystem you have a, a unicorn or a, they call it the paypal effect uh i think before the paypal effect they called it the g effect uh you get those um billion-dollar IPOs, so, for example, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, they created 4,000 millionaires, and those 4,000 millionaires can go in and start reinvesting. We've already got founders, funds like Blackbird and uh, what you're talking about, Daron, in terms of getting those experts back into the network. But If you if you get that on scale, then the ecosystem starts becoming more self-sustaining, and you don't need the government support anymore uh, as much. You still need the regulation, the right regulation alike, but we need to, to kick-start that off, and ecosystems around Australia are, are doing... A far um, bigger job than what's happening here in australia
0: okay i'm going to ask one last question for for all of us and then i think we're we're kind of out of time so um if you think about the the real st- the, you know the australian unicorns i don't know why i pointed at myself because i didn't do that <laughs> rats uh, so if you think about them, the, the money they raise, so Atlassian, 99designs, Forex, Siteminder, well, Siteminder might be, not be a billion yet, but they all raise the significant funding from the U.S. So basically anything more than about a $10, $20 million check, there's nobody in Australia really that can cut it. So my question for, I'll maybe start with you. Uh, no, in fact, let me start with uh, Bronwyn because you've been living in the in the U.S., so you've maybe got a bit more perspective on it. Um, how big an issue is that for us, and when do you see that being fixed?
1: I think it's going to become less and less of an issue. I think we're seeing it happening all the time. It is still U.S. investors writing those checks largely. I don't know if that's if that's a bad thing. I mean, the money's got to flow in from somewhere. Does it have to be Australian dollars? And necessarily. Ultimately,
0: we're making money for the U.S. venture funds. So, I mean, the, the point about the you know, maybe we'll build some millionaires here, but the, the real value in the business is going back to the U.S.
1: I think money has to come in. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping ESOP will change that and, you know, we'll have more and more people be able to kind of, um, you know, cash in on working for innovative startups here. But the money has to come from somewhere in the beginning. Um, the other thing about um, U.S. fund money, which is an important factor, is, you know, it's it often is smart money. They've, you know often a lot more experience than a lot of um, Australian funds at this level, but I think it will happen. Um, yeah. just I mean, a we are not
0: short of funds here. I mean, we have the third biggest pension sector in the world, uh, pretty decent, healthy public market. Uh, I mean, I heard, uh, you know, uh, funds like bilador may go on and list, you know, much bigger uh, funds than they have now, and they will be able to cut those checks. Do you, do you think that's going to happen soon?
4: Yeah, I think, I think the, the issue is, it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's an essential first step. So I think that the way to Sorry, view... what is? The American money coming oh, gotcha. in. Yeah? So if you look at the Axel deal with Atlassian and Osforex and, and those sorts of deals, 99designs and so on, it's an essential first step that they take advantage of the quality deals that have made it to the point where they can do later stage rounds. There's no one in Australia to do those later stage rounds because they don't have critical mass in terms of available deal flow to justify fund size that you need in order to do a round of that size, okay? So if I'm Axel doing a $60 million deal, it's because I've got a 600 to a billion dollar fund. Now you can't deploy at the venture level a fund of that size in a marketplace like Australia. So what we really need is we need more of those to happen. We need more of those to be winners. And what will happen then is people will realize that there's early stage opportunities in Australia where you can dimension money for this marketplace that need to be better farmed earlier, so that they can get those, get into those opportunities before their sixty million dollar deals that have left the early stage venture space. Because Atlassian didn't do any rounds pre sixty mil. No, that's right. right. Well, they
0: did. They had the dad's credit card. Their
4: dad's credit card. So, so the the opportunity I think is for some of the global funds that also do early stage to recognise that enough of those those big ones are coming out the top that Australia's worth mining at an earlier level. And then they'll partner with local funders and then the smart money will partner with local smarts to create a global business. The thing we miss when we talk about the venture capital industry in Australia is we're failing to acknowledge it's a global business. You cannot run a venture capital as a local business. And that's been the mistake of the past. So hopefully these deals will show the players around the world that it is worth putting some money to work here and then what will happen once they put the money to work our super funds and all that money that's sitting there not wanting to touch the space will all of a sudden get comfortable because they realize that the players that are now taking advantage of the opportunities are reliable and generating the sort of returns they want to see as classic investors that don't really have the understanding of the asset class
0: yeah uh, guys I would love to keep going all night, but I think I'm going to get uh, my head chopped off if we carry on. So we're going to have to call it a day, but that was terrific. Thank you. Can I to say one day? thing? Yeah, just following on from
2: these guys, a lot of people look at that question and say it's black and white. There are, there are benefits that come midway. And um, as Daron gave a, a great example, uh, those people that invest in those businesses before they get uh, bought out by a US firm, they're going to be quite wealthy. they are going to be staff here that are leaving all of that behind, and we're building on that. Um, that's the way that a number of other governments overseas look at it as well. Okay. So the punchline is the ecosystem is fantastic, and we're very excited,
0: and get behind it. So Pete, Scott, Bronwyn, Doran, thank you so much. Uh, terrific, and enjoy your enjoy your evening. Thanks, everyone, for joining us.